Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll also visit with Larry Reed. He's the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Christian Stout, the director of innovation policy at the International Center for Law and Economics, will be joining us as well. It is October the 17th, and on this day in 1931, gangster Al Capone was sentenced to 11 years in prison for tax evasion and fined $80,000, signaling a downfall of one of the most notorious criminals of the 20s and 30s. Alphonse Gabriel Capone was born in Brooklyn, New York, in 1899 to immigrant uh, Italian immigrants. He was expelled from school at age 14, joined a gang, and earned his nickname Scarface after being sliced across the cheek during a fight. By 1920, Capone had moved to Chicago, where he was soon helping to run a crime boss, Jimmy uh, Torrio's illegal enterprises, which included alcohol smuggling, gambling, and prostitution. Torrio retired in 1925 after an attempt on his life, and Capone, known for his cunning and brutality, was put in charge of the organization. Prohibition, which outlawed the brewing and distribution of alcohol and lasted from 1920 to 1933, proved extremely lucrative for bootleggers and gangsters like Capone, who raked in millions from their underworld activities. He was at the top of his FBI's most wanted list by 1930, but he avoided long stints in jail until 1931 by bribing city officials, intimidating witnesses, and maintaining various hideouts. He became Chicago's crime kingpin by wiping out his competitors through a series of gangland battles and slayings, including the infamous St. Valentine Day of Massacre in 1929. When Capone men, they gunned down several rivals. This event helped raise Capone's notoriety at a, to a national level. Among Capone's enemies was federal agent Elliot Ness, who led a team of officers known as the Untouchables because they couldn't be corrupted. Ness and his men routinely broke up Capone's bootlegging businesses, but it was a tax evasion charge that finally struck and landed Capone in prison in 1931. He began serving his time at the U.S. Penitentiary in Atlanta, but amid accusations he was manipulating the system and receiving cushy treatment, he was transferred to the maximum security blockup at Alcatraz Island in California's San Francisco Bay. He got out early in 1939 for good behavior after spending his final years in prison and in a hospital suffering from syphilis. Plagued by health problems for the rest of his life, Capone died uh, in 1947 at the age of 48 in his home of Palm Island, not far from here, Palm Island, Florida. Al Capone, notorious criminal. Unbelievable. <clears throat> Well, uh, thick black smoke could be seen billowing from Sanibel Island on Sunday as recovery efforts continued there from the damage caused by Hurricane Ian. The smoke, which could be seen around Sanibel from the mainland, was caused by golf carts that caught on fire in the Dunes Golf Club and Tennis Club. 
Mike Dopslaff, the PGA club professional at the Dunes, explained that he had thought caused uh, the uh, what he thought caused the fire. Two and a half weeks after the hurricane, we still have no electric on the island, so there was no attempt to charge the golf carts or turn them on, he said. Most likely one or two of them decided to go up and started igniting the others. So in other words, uh, and you can't put these fires out. That's what, we, what we've discovered also from electric vehicles. Uh, the uh, They catch on fire for no particular reason. They just ignite and then uh, they just burn and burn and burn. Uh, another reason why I don't think I want to get myself an electric vehicle. Well, Gannett announced cost-cutting measures. Now, that's the company that owns USA Today and also publishes the Naples Daily News. and I, I, th- I believe the Fort Myers paper as well. Point being is that they're announcing cost-cutting measures. I think there's 20 full-time employees at the Naples Daily News right now. And uh, as you've probably seen, it's getting thinner and thinner. Less information and news, not very helpful, and certainly left leanings. It's not, there's not much going on in the paper that, that's uh, news. In any event, I think that's probably going to splash on the Naples Daily News as well. As well. So I will say uh, we uh, they increased the cost of the paper for us, didn't announce it to us. They just went ahead and started uh, increasing the amount of money they were taking out of the checking account uh, for the Naples Daily News. My wife Linda called them on it, and uh, they said, well, well, we're sorry, we'll, we'll put it back. The, the point being, watch these things. These people are just trying to garner income, it looks like, any way they can. Uh, Naples Daily News, uh, the donkey press, in my opinion. Well, the major daily newspaper, the Philadelphia Inquirer, Pennsylvania's most liberal and populous city, uh, declined to endorse the state's lieutenant governor in his uh, party's primary earlier this year. That's uh, Fetterman. He had a stroke in May, and his last efforts have been a major concern among likely voters who are uncertain about whether he is capable of the challenges of being a senator. There's no reason Fetterman cannot serve effectively after his stroke, the paper's editorial board wrote about the candidate who struggles with delaying auditory processing. Uh, Board members also said a couple of moments lag should not significantly impair him from serving as senator. Fetterman is in a close race, of course, with GOP nominee Dr. Uh, Oz to win the seat of retiring GOP Senator Pat Toomey. This is just, can you believe this? They, they don't endorse him when he before he had a stroke, but now they do and say, look, this, this problem that he has with a stroke shouldn't be much of a problem. Well, that kind of deflects away from the fact that he's, his policies and what he stands for are, uh, you know, more of the uh, let him out of jail, uh, all the things that uh, we've learned to dislike about the Democrat Party and their policies. Uh, Dr. Oz, hopefully, he's, he's getting more momentum. I think he's uh, going to be gaining traction and hopefully will win uh, this election. Well, a day after President Joe Biden drew criticism from conservatives on social media for giving unsolicited dating advice to a young teen girl in California, the president is again in hot water for claiming the economy is strong as hell, quote-unquote. The comment came uh, during a conversation with a reporter at the Baskin-Robbins in Portland, Oregon, who asked the president if he had any worry about the strength of the U.S. dollar and the rising inflation. With a chocolate chip ice cream cone in his hand, Biden answered, I'm not concerned about the strength of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Our economy is strong as hell, he said. He added, inflation is worldwide. It's worse off than in the United States. So the problem is the lack of economic growth and sound policy in other countries, 
Not so much as ours. The man is delusional, no question. In a worldwide inflation, it's consequential, Biden also said. The comment came immediately after Biden criticized UK Prime Minister Liz Truss's economic plan as a quote-unquote mistake. I not only uh, I was not the only one who thought it was a mistake, he said. I think the idea of cutting taxes on the super wealthy at a time when, anyway, I disagreed with the policy that that's up to Great Britain to make the judgment, not me, he said. Biden visited Portland Friday as part of a three-state tour uh, to the western U.S. to uh, rally turnout for the upcoming midterm elections. Biden also visited California and tends to visit Colorado before the heading back to Washington, D.C., His visit to Portland was particularly notable as Democrats are in a position to potentially lose the governor's mansion for the first time in decades, drawing attention from the White House. A Democrat who governed uh, in Salem since the 1980s, but two Democrats are in the race, Betsy Johnson and Tina Kotek, each end up splitting the vote, potentially resulting in a Republican Christine Drazen winning, some experts say. And while the Democrat Party formally recognizes Kotek as a nominee, Johnson still has double-digit support in polls and could play the spoiler in the race. Biden on Saturday urged voters to back Kotek. She's articulate, tough, and a committed woman, the president said in a reception for Kotek. Biden's comments uh, about the economy come a day after he hovered closely between a teen girl and instructed her not to seriously date until she's 30. (laughs) Uh, not a very important thing I told my daughters. Uh, and uh, Now it's a very important thing he told my daughters and granddaughters. No serious guys until you're 30, Biden said to the unknown young woman following a speech at Irvine Valley College in Irvine, California. Okay, she responded. I'll keep that in mind, she added, as Biden hovered just inches from her face. <laughs> what a creep. He's a pretty creepy guy, in my opinion, uh, and uh, a pathological liar to boot. And meanwhile, his wife was loudly booed at the Eagles and Cowboys game Sunday night in Lincoln Financial Field in her hometown of Philadelphia. She's born in Jersey and grew up in Philly. Joe Biden's nurse and handler, Jill, didn't get a warm welcome. The crowd booed her during the coin toss. So I think that's maybe the canary in the coal mine for her popularity at her hometown. Citadel owner... Ken Griffin fled Lightfoot's Chicago to Florida earlier this year, and he brought his company with him. The hedge fund firm known as Citadel moved its operations to Florida, citing a more business-friendly environment. Now Ken Griffin is donating $100 million to Republican candidates in this year's elections. The L American reported uh, in September, Lori Lightfoot's progressive administration in Chicago prompted one of the richest men in America to set course for Florida, as if it weren't enough, in the addition to landing in the state governed by Ron DeSantis, he's donating more than $100 million to elect Republicans in the midterm elections. That's good news. So you have uh, uh, Tulsi Gabbard uh, fleeing the Republican, believing the Democrat Party, rather, and uh, now endorsing uh, Don Bolduke, among others, uh, that she's uh, supporting Republicans for this campaign. Now we have, of course, uh, Ken Griffin leaving Chicago, and uh, there's more, many more as well. So uh, it's looking very good right now. We're just three weeks before the election, and uh, it's looking very good for the Republicans right now, for a Republican tsunami to uh, take the elections, not only to take the House, but hopefully take the Senate as well. 
Uh, we need to somehow, some way, build a firewall against the insanity of the uh, of the Biden administration and their policies, which is so globalist and not in the best interests of the American people. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Christian Stout, Director of Innovation Policy at the International Center for Law and Economics. Right now, we have with us Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check it out. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. We're talking about current global events, and uh, let's start off with Ukraine. 
the war just drags on. Any new developments? Well, two things have happened in the last week or so. Number one, the Russians are using large numbers of Iranian kamikaze drones to to attack Ukraine. Um, they're attacking basically civilian targets and some infrastructure as well. Most of them get shot down, but a few manage to get through. So, for instance, today, uh, one of them attacked a, a building in downtown Kiev, apartment house, and killed three people and caused large damage. Mm. So the Russians are incapable of doing much on the battlefield, so they've they've um, resorted to a, a terror campaign against the Ukrainian people. Again, misunderstanding the Ukrainian people, I'm afraid, for them, because... They're sort of hoping the Ukrainians will give up, but on the other hand, the Ukrainians are just doing the opposite. Um, and the battlefield, there's a lot of quiet right now. There's supposedly an advance is taking place in Kherson. The Russians are throwing, and this sort of goes to the Russian side also. The Russians have been taking um, have been taking people off the streets, literally taking them and pushing them into the army, grabbing them on the streets, um, and within five to ten days, putting them into the battlefield. And these people are not capable of of doing any useful fighting, and so a lot of them are returning now in coffins. Yeah, which is starting to create the, not the best of feelings inside Russia at this point. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about uh, being prepared for war, having ten days between the time that you're being pulled off the street and put in a uniform and sent to the front lines, these people don't no, have. That's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the American army, the Israel, any of the real armies in the world take at least six months and usually almost a year to prepare a soldier for real combat. Right. Even in World War II, when you know everything was sped up because of the needs, it was still three, four months minimal yeah. before someone was considered capable of participating in, conflict, in, in, in combat and participating in units, etc. And today, when you think of modern warfare, um, you know, modern warfare is high-tech, usually at least, and you certainly can't do anything in 10 days. Well, I'll tell you, I had a friend who, uh, uh, during the Vietnam War who served in the National Guard, and uh, he was called up to serve in uh, Vietnam. He, he and his uh, fellow uh, members of his troop just ended up getting shot up because they weren't properly trained for what they were going in for. So you certainly have empathy and understanding for these people. Well, absolutely, and I'm sure your friend had more training than any of these people did. Yeah, probably, yeah, indeed. So, well, so uh, is there any kind of, uh, again, I, I continue to hear rumors about peace talks. Anything developing? No, there's no peace talks, absolutely not. I don't know where these rumors are coming from. They're coming from, from Russian sources because they would like peace talks, but no, there's no peace talks going on. There's no sign of peace talks, and there won't be peace talks, I don't believe. Um, huh. We're, I mean, I, I don't see the the circumstances unless Putin was to give up his his goal. Um, I don't see peace talks taking place. I can see possibly um, an, a situation where he'd give up on everything but Crimea, and maybe that would be an arranged deal. But then you get into the issue of the war crimes that the Russians have been doing. Yeah. So it's not. I don't see any any possibility of peace talks anytime soon, in my opinion. Mm. Um, you know, there's no. Who who wants peace talks at the moment? Well, I think India is one voice that I heard that was uh, encouraging peace yeah, talks. Yeah, India, yeah, they, 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 well, they, well, they all wanted to go away because this is, this is a, but uh, the Ukrainians aren't willing to give in, to, to give in at this point. Yeah, and unless the Russians are ready to surrender, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, there is no reason for the for you know the Ukrainians clearly have a battlefield advantage at this point. Mm -hmm. um, they have no reason to to stop and. Well, well I would say bombing their cities and <laughs> taking yeah, incoming. Yeah, again, all that does is get, give, give them, making them angry again. 
angrier. Yeah. Well, well. I mean, there's a certain there's a certain strange situation here where the Ukrainians won't attack the Russian cities because they're afraid of upsetting the West, mm-hmm. who are supporting them, because the West is concerned about you know Russian reaction. So just think about this: the Ukrainian, the Russians bomb Ukrainian cities without question, and of course, every time they bomb the Ukrainian cities, they're committing war crimes because you're not allowed to bomb indiscriminately. You're allowed to, you know, you're allowed if civilians get killed as a uh, as a um, collateral result damage. of attacking a military target that's considered okay in the uh, in, in international law but if you bomb an apartment house would have no has no military value that's violating all norms of military law these days yeah laws of war so no only people who are going talking about peace talks are the far right in the united states the far, far left in the united states and uh, Russian supporters in other parts of the world at this point. So, uh, so. any developments in Russia with regard to the, this war? Well, you, you have things... It, it's not clear what's going on, obviously. There is, at this point, criticism more and more in social media, particularly about the mobilization. Mm-hmm. Um, and Putin has sort of backed off and said, well, in another two weeks, we'll I'll stop the mobilization. But obviously, when Coffin's not coming back, it was one thing when it was a regular army. And it was even one thing when it was the conscripts in the army, well, that was more problematic. But now we're having people who two weeks ago was a lawyer in, in in Moscow or Leningrad, and today he comes back in a coffin. That begins to really impact the the people in, in Russia at this point. Absolutely. And I think we're starting to see it. We're starting to see criticism. We also had the case, it's still not very clear, the other day, where... Um, one set of recruits opened fire on another set of recruits, killing 11 of them. Wow. So, you know, that also doesn't exactly make for... Dissension in the for, ranks. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Yeah. Um, so, we'll see. Now, let's move to, let's move to uh, Korea. North Korea, for example, firing off uh, missiles and... Firing, firing off rockets, firing off, preparing, it seems, for, another nu- for a nuclear test, generally ratcheting up uh, tensions not totally sure why they they think it's a good thing to do that. I mean, in other words, what are they gaining by it? I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I guess it's partly ego um, for the supreme leader there, but I don't I don't see what they're gaining other than um, forcing Japan and South Korea to increase their defense spending, increase their readiness, and all those those sort of things. So, uh, listen, we have to accept the fact that the Koreans, unfortunately, North Koreans have a nuclear weapon. What does that mean um, for the United States? I would say we need to double down on on the ballistic missile system that that we that we have, which may or may not be good enough for a major war, but is enough to stop a couple of lone Korean missiles coming. Well, human nature so. being what it is, that makes me wonder. Perhaps there might be factions within the senior leadership of the country. That uh, you know, we have hawks and people that might uh, want uh, a, a more rational approach to things, and it may be that right now he's simply trying to appease uh, the uh, the hawks in his in his country. Maybe I mean we don't really again. It's one of those places where we know even less than we know about Russia. Yeah, in terms of the internal politics. Mark, you know, we've got one a- family has one family has been ruling that country since 1949. So yeah. Pretty sad state of affairs. Mark, we need to take just a little bit of a break. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned. 
tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting uh, with uh, Larry Bell, uh, excuse me, Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. So uh, let's move to Iran. Are the uh, protests continuing? They are continuing. Uh, there was protests in, in the main main prison in Iran, in Tehran, the other night. It was a big fire there. Uh, some number, it's not clear, eight or more prisoners were killed. The details of what exactly took place are not clear, but surrounding the prison, thousands of people came up saying, down with the dictators, down with the dictators. So this is the deepest and largest, um, not in terms of people, but the largest segments of the population. And, um, and of course, it's being led by women more than anything else. The women are at the lead, and the Iranian government you know, is claiming foreign and all sorts of other things, but it's coming deeply from the people who uh, want this government gone. How about the Iranian so Guard? How are they reacting? Well, the Iranian Guard are with the government, but the police are not as much. Hmm. So it's really not clear, you know, where this goes at this point. Um, really isn't. Uh, let's put it this way. You know I'm always skeptical about this, the possibility of success for demonstrators when the, company, when the country is willing to shoot its own citizens. Mm-hmm. But I'm cautiously optimistic that there is a chance that this could actually 
that they could actually be a revolution or a counter-revolution, however you want to define it, in Iran at this point. Um, it's it's hard to know, and but you know they say about dictators, they're the strongest they are until the moment they're not. Well, and 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 how do you uh, what what is it going to do to the image, the optics of uh, the Iranian guard killing women for 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 their protests? It just uh, I think no, the, the optics are terrible, but that's the question. You know, why, you know, what are they willing to do? What are they not willing to do? Yeah. And um, when they stop being willing, that's the end of the regime. So right. we don't know. Um, like I said, I was always very skeptical. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that the women are on the front of this uh, clearly shows that um, something very different is happening. And. We'll have to see. Well, this, it certainly was going to change the landscape of uh, the Middle East for sure. And well, just if a, there's a revolution in Iran, then, then everything changes. Yeah. We, you know, of course, we don't know who's going to come to power and what sort of government and everything else, but if uh, if um, if there's a new government and it's not a, a theocratic government in Iran, everything changes. We'll see. Absolutely. Let's move to Great Britain, what's happening now in uh, England. Well, they used to be considered a rather stable government, but it's hardly stable at this point. Um, the new prime minister fired her finance minister after, I don't know, was it two weeks, a week and a half. The new finance minister came into power, came in today, basically saying he's going back with all the tax cuts and everything that had been announced uh, two weeks ago that, that so riled the markets and created so much uh, unhappiness. Um, the government, I think the approval rating of the government is like at 19%, something in that area. I mean, you know, you talk about Biden or Trump having low approval ratings. This is a whole other game altogether. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's talk of elections. There's a lot of push for elections. Of course, the, the conservative party doesn't want elections because right now I think there's a 40-point advantage to labor right now over the conservatives and all the opinion polls. So you'd have an incredible, you know, route of the conservatives. There's also a movement at foot to to, to rejoin the EU. Everyone, it's now accepted standard opinion right now that leaving the Brexit was a was a disaster for Great Britain, and it might have been somewhat enhanced uh, by the Russians pushing for it to take place. So there's a general movement right now to talk about rejoining, how that would happen, etc. Big questions, but there is a there is. General understanding that Brexit tended, was has been a great disaster for for Great Britain. So here, help us understand then, Mark. This woman, how long has she been in power now? A couple of months. A couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. So how does public opinion change that rapidly? It do it do a pivot uh, when she counted the office base. Well, don't forget, it's been going downhill. I mean, Boris Johnson wasn't exactly that popular in the last couple of months, to say the least. Right. And anyone who supported Brexit has slowly been losing popularity. Then she made these announcements of these very large tax cuts for the rich and uh, corporate tax cuts and also things that were very, very unpopular. But they weren't only unpopular, they were also um, considered fiscally irresponsible by the markets because they would create tremendous deficits. Mm-hmm. So the markets devalued the, the um, British pound. The people were against it. So the popularity plummeted even more. So it's, it's a continuation. Yeah. She's tone deaf. She wasn't paying attention to the to the sentiment. No, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. So interesting. So, that's that's where we stand. Um, it'd be very interesting. I mean, um, some people said, you know, don't don't talk about Britain being a stable democracy anymore. So we'll see. 
We'll see indeed. So let's let's uh, what's happening in Brazil? So Brazil, we're having the second round of elections, and it's really interesting in Brazil. You know, it's like the most right-wing guy on one side, Bolsonaro, and the most left-wing guy on the other side, who had been had been the the president. And it's the left-wing guy has a had a slight advantage in the first round, but no one got fifty percent. Um, so it's really a, a, an interesting election, and the electorate seems cut right down the middle. Huh. Um, and um, so it's one way or the other at this point. Um, so we'll have to see. Um, but the two different directions, and the Brazilian people are, are going to decide um, next week. It's, um, I guess next Sunday, I guess, the elections are, the second round. Well, the, the, the polls were demonstrating that Bolsonaro was uh, falling out of favor, and I think it was surprising in the first place that he actually got the support that he got in the recent election. Right. Yeah, there's questions of how, you know, there may have been some hanky-panky there going on, but we don't know. So we'll have to see. Um, look, everyone wants to throw out the bums, whoever the bums are at a particular moment. That goes without saying. Uh-huh. Right? Uh, it doesn't make a difference where in the world it is. There's that sense, especially when things aren't going great. And as we know, the world economy is not going great, so that affects everybody. Yeah. And so it certainly affects in Brazil as well. So um, it's an interesting election. And we have Israeli... I think it's an election. And by the way, I I failed to mention to our listeners that uh, you are in Tel Aviv right now uh, doing uh, your work for uh, a number of uh, media outlets. Uh, And elections are coming up in Israel soon, are they not? Yes, they are. They're coming up in two weeks. Um, former Prime Minister Netanyahu is trying to return to power despite the fact that he's in the middle of a trial for corruption on many different charges. Mm-hmm. The Israeli system has a very strange loophole. You can't be a minister in any government if you're under indictment, but you can be prime minister. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it, did, didn't it, I hear... it was created for it was created for a logical reason because if a if a prime minister got indicted, that meant the government would have to fall. But no one thought about the opposite situation where someone was able to run for prime minister, if you follow what I mean. I do. So that that just wasn't in the it was wasn't in the law. No one thought about that that situation. No one thought it could ever happen. So did Netanyahu so, get rushed to the hospital? Do I recall that he had a health issue? He got rushed to the hospital, but he seems to be okay. That happened uh, last uh, last week, but he seems to be okay. Um, polls are basically unchanged from the last six elections. I mean, he has failed to get, gain a majority in the last six elections. Most other places in the world, he would have resigned because someone else from his party would probably win an election. Yeah. But the but he seems to think that only he can do it, so he's running again. Well, does he have, does he have the ability now to pull together a government? Because previously, that's always been the issue. Right. I don't think he... I mean, look, we don't know the results of the election. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to a few thousand votes because... There are opinion polls that give him anywhere his block, let's put it that way, anywhere from 59 to 61 seats, hmm. which he needs 61 in order to form a government. Um, but that's where the opinion polls were over the last five elections. So, and, and neither of them have, has he been able to form the government. So we'll have to see. Um, it's it's a waste. Let's put it that way. Well, that's no uh, what we're seeing is, is governments across the world now in crisis. I mean, if you go from Iran to Great Britain to Israel, uh, people are just not happy right now with what's going on, and I think they want to see change. To your point earlier in the show, right? You know, look, there are, there are things that are going on in the world. You know, let's 
for instance, the rise in energy prices this past year worldwide that's caused most of the inflation, none of the governments directly could have done very much. I mean, most of it was caused by by the invasion of, of Ukraine by, by Putin. Yeah. Now, there were other factors, don't get me wrong, but this has generally been a problem all over the world. Right. And so everyone's unhappy. There, France, there are demonstrations taking place today against rising prices. Well, there are rising prices all over the world, as we know. Food prices have gone up considerably, um, partly because of the war, the war, partly from COVID, and partly because they just can't. Um, so, but again, the government of France has very little they, they can do about it. Well, the French are doing um, so, what they do, so... <laughs> yes, they demonstrate. They like demonstrating. They do indeed. Clearly. Mark Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check out HistoryCentral.com. Good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with uh, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and now building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. would be absolutely spectacular. You can find out more and visit the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. 
Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Christian Stout, the Director of Innovation Policy at the International Center for Law and Economics. Right now, we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. My pleasure, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are an educational foundation, as the name would suggest. Our focus is on high school and college students. We endeavor to inspire and educate them in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, small government, and personal character. And we do that through the website, which is feefee.org, where you'll see lots of regular daily commentary and videos and news about events. And also, uh, we educate uh, young people at in-person seminars in this country and abroad. I will say I've uh, been to one of the, several of the seminars, actually, and I uh, just, uh, my testimony, I definitely support the Foundation for Economic <laughs> Education. If you have a young person, high school or college age, in your life, introduce them to this terrific organization, fee.org, F-E-E.org. Uh, Larry, you wrote a piece which I found extremely interesting, and uh, whose birthday is on September 29th? Well, that's your birthday. And then it's a look at the best and worst in history. Maybe you can tell us about it. Uh, thank you, Bob. Yeah, I think it's important uh, for people to um, look back at history and, and learn from uh, uh, what people did before. And I thought one day that an interesting way to do that would be to see who else was born especially if any of them uh, were well-known, on uh, one's own birthday. And so I checked September 29, my birthday, and discovered some fascinating people, uh, some I would have liked and some I would have detested, yeah. uh, were also born on September 29. People like uh, Pompey the Great, mm -hmm. uh, as he was known at the time. I don't personally regard him as great, but he was... Uh, uh, a general in the Roman Republic Army, and he was one of the reasons why the Roman Republic uh, fell, because he was conniving for power and was more interested in uh, power for himself and in preserving the liberties of uh, the Roman Republic. Uh, so he was born on the 29th of September, and so was uh, the Spanish novelist Miguel Cervantes, that name may not be uh, as familiar as the title of his most famous work, which was Don Quixote. And some people regard that as one of the greatest works of Western literature. And one thing in particular he said really uh, struck a chord with me because it sort of enshrines the very essence of the principles of liberty. Uh, he wrote, let every man mind his own business. <laughs> what? <laughs> what a different and better world it would be if more people practiced that. Absolutely. In fact, I, little known, I, I, I may be making this up, but I think I know it for a fact, is that uh, Cervantes wrote the great Don Quixote novel at the age of 92. Oh, my gosh. No, I did not know that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Makes, makes a good case for keeping engaged, doesn't it? Yeah, well, obviously he didn't get to stick around to see it on film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, as a result of your column, I, I took a look at what who was born on my birthday, and the verse, very first person that popped up is Ted Bundy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> American I don't know if I want to do any more interviews with you. <laughs> <laughs> he was born on my birthday. The other guy, the number two, 
Lucky Luciano, the father of modern organized crime in the United States, who was born oh my on my <laughs> November the 24th. <laughs> so, but I continue, hey, there's actually some, some very interesting people that, uh, Zachary Taylor, by the way, president of the United States, he was the 12th president of the United States. Not for very long, though. He, yeah. he just uh, <laughs> he died, died in office. He did. And then uh, uh, Henry Toulouse-Lautrec, as well as... Now, I'm proud of this. Oscar Robertson, one of the greatest basketball players that ever lived, a 12-time All-Star. He was fantastic. Oh, great. Well, I feel better about you now. <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> one other guy. This is a fascinating guy. Who, you, As a historian, you probably... Baruch Spinoza, the 17th century philosopher, yeah. who was had a very interesting point of view. He actually ended up, because of violating Catholic doctrine as a Jew, he was... <laughs> He was excommunicated from the from his uh, from his temple. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you had other fam famous birthdays too. Yes, uh, Admiral Nelson, the uh, greatest naval hero of uh, Great Britain. He led the British to victory at the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805, uh -huh. and the significance of that battle was that it prevented uh, Napoleon from invading England. And, uh, of course, if you've been to London, you know the um, Nelson Column in Trafalgar Square. Sure. Uh, just up the street from uh, Parliament. So he was born on my birth date, as was the comedian Madeleine Kahn. And if you've seen Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles, <laughs> uh, you know who she was. She was uh, hilarious. And uh, also... Uh, a guy that uh, I'm not proud of, uh, not proud of sharing the same birth date with, is uh, Trofim Lysenko. He was Russian and a vicious crackpot. He was uh, supposed to be a biologist, but it turns out he was really a pseudoscientist who had uh, moronic ideas that uh, was em were embraced by the uh, by the state under Joseph Stalin and uh, led directly to the deaths of millions of people. He was really a nutcase, but. Uh, uh, from a position of power, um, he was able to do some evil things that killed a lot of people. Boy, a lot of that going on these days, isn't there? Oh, yeah. It's yeah, just it's yeah. how interesting how history repeats itself. And say, by the way, I so much enjoyed reading your column, but uh, you had a, a link to Jerry Lee Lewis, Great Balls of Fire. Oh, yes, Jerry Lee Lewis, who, of course, is still living. I, golly, he's got to be close to uh, 90, I think, but... Jerry Lee Lewis could really bang on a piano. Uh, he could bang one into smithereens and make an audience feel good about it. And uh, he once told uh, an interviewer for Esquire magazine, I never set fire to a piano. I'd like to have got away with it, though. I pushed a couple of them in the river. It wasn't any good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just a great performance. If you if you like music as much as I do, take a look at uh, Larry's column. If for no other reason to see see this uh, clip from Jerry Lee Lewis back singing "Great Balls of Fire." Two of the uh, people I'll mention on my birthday: Scott Joplin, the composer and pianist known for the King of Ragtime. Oh yeah. And then finally, I'll mention Dale Carnegie, self help writer and motivational wow. guru. Yeah. Born on my birthday. So, wow, both fantastic people. Yeah. Well, I just really appreciate this, uh, well, I'm going to call it a journey down memory lane, and I just encourage our listeners to go and check out who was born on your birthday. Some will make you proud. 
Some won't. (laughs) Larry Reed, again, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. I hope you check it out. Fee.org is the website, F-E-E.org. Larry, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with Christian Stout, Director of Innovation Policy at the International Center for Law and Economics. You may be aware that a lot of uh, violations of copyright law with uh, international intellectual property. And he's going to make some important comments about that. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence is one of only 97 restaurants worldwide to receive Wine Spectator's prestigious Grand Award, and they've received it for the eighth consecutive year. Blue Provence Restaurant is temporarily closed for renovations due to damage from Hurricane Ian, and they look forward to serving you again in the near future. In the meantime, you can enjoy their Grand Award-winning wine list with unbeatable prices on more than 2,500 wines by visiting Blue Provence Fine Wines at 1234 8th Street South, Monday through Saturday between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Check out the vast wine selection by visiting Blue Provence on Facebook or visit the easy-to-browse website blueprovencefinewines.com. Visit blueprovencefinewines.com or if you need help, you can call Jacques directly at 239-821-6772. you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. We have with us Christian Stout. He's the Director of Innovation Policy at the International Center for Law and Economics. Christian, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Bob. Nice to be with you this morning. Thank you so much. Tell us about the International Center for Law and Economics. Sure. Uh, International Center for Law Economics is a policy research organization, sometimes called a, a think tank. Uh, what we do is we take the um, the, ec- the methodology of economic analysis and we apply it to law and public policy questions with the goal of having lawmakers have to do things like rigorous cost-benefit analysis and use empirical evidence when making public policy decisions. Terrific mission indeed. I must say I, I did uh, some research on your website. I saw that Henry Mann was one of your founders. And yes. uh, and Henry, bef- well, before he died, actually has been on my show several times. Yeah, well, actually, Henry is uh, our founder's father, Jeff. Jeff oh. is the founder, but 
Ah, okay. I didn't, I didn't catch that nuance. So, but thank you, Christian. So you wrote this piece uh, called a roadmap to reform section 512 of the copyright act. Uh, maybe you could tell us about section 512, what it is and, uh, why this is important. Sure. Um, so section 512 is part of, uh, the, the legal effort in the middle of the 1990s to try to figure out how to fit the American legal system onto the growing internet at the time. So it was written in the same era as Section 230, which tends to get more press these days, but it's just as important. Um, the goal for Section 512, like on the Section 230 side, was to figure out how to adjust our legal environment in a way so that um, online platforms, online services could grow. And in this particular case, it was trying to find a way so that um, user-generated content could proliferate on the internet without copyright infringement stopping these services from operating. So yeah, this is this is such an interesting question because of, you know, there's so just information proliferates, especially because of the internet. And I'm I'm not, I'm pretty certain that most people don't pay attention to copyright infringements when they're uh, when they're using information, either putting it on Facebook, or whatever it might be. It, this is a big problem, isn't it? It's a giant problem. So um, just to take a step back and understand the value of copyright, um, just domestically, the, the estimate is something around five to ten percent of the U.S. economy is driven by copyright and related industries, which accounts for about two and a half trillion dollars. Mm -hmm. Massive driver, and it's also a major part. Um, of our uh, comparative advantage internationally, so our international trade figures are even higher than that. Yeah, and uh, in, in addition to that, our copyright laws allow for innovation and allow for uh, for people to actually put their shoulders to the wheel and actually invent something, make something happen for the benefit of their uh, own pocketbook, and uh, you know, ultimately perhaps sell something to somebody so that uh, so they can develop it even more. Uh, but if if you don't have those protections, people are going to stop uh, putting their shoulder to the wheel to invent stuff. Well, and, yeah, and the, and it's a more complicated problem than that even. So, yeah, we want people to do this invention, but commercialization is also a huge part. So I can write a song in my, my, my home with a guitar. It might be the best song ever, but if there's no pathways in the economy to help me figure out how to reach audiences, how to actually make return on that, you don't incentivize all the firms throughout the economy to help me do that, and the copyright system facilitates that. Right. So uh, what types of changes, what, what would you recommend to, in order to facilitate uh, protecting copyright law? Um, great question. First, I don't want to overstate the problem and say that copyright law is fundamentally broken or anything like that. I think it actually works pretty well in a lot of cases. But over the last couple of decades, since the Internet has grown up, we've seen um, in that edifice that could, could use fixing. So when 512 was written, <clears throat> part some of the provisions in it were uh, so how 512 works actually. Um, essentially, if if a user on a platform posts something that potentially infringes copyright, um, under traditional copyright law, the hosting platform would have been liable for primary or secondary infringement, depending on how it happens. So they would actually have been liable for for copyright infringement. 512 changed that and gave them what's called safe harbors, saying, well, we'll give you a chance if the user uploads something and it, and it infringes copyright. You, you'll, you'll, there'll be a notice period where you get to take it down, and um, that'll, that, that, should, that should work. The problem is the way the law was written um, was with, with dial-up speeds in mind. It was not written with high-speed internet in mind. So some of the way the provisions were interpreted by courts in the early years have aged in a way that, that don't reflect today. So getting to what I would recommend. One, um, courts have interpreted the knowledge standard, what it is a platform operator is assumed to know, when they should know copyright infringement is happening. They've interpreted it in ways that are um, 
too liberal in favor of uh, allowing too much content to be posted online, what's called the red flag knowledge standards. I think there needs to be fixes there. Um, when a platform has reason to believe someone's infringing, there should be uh, uh, more challenge to that safe harbor. Um, it was also assumed in the 90s that these platforms and um, the copy, large copyright holders and small copyright holders would work together to develop what are called standard technical measures, so um, standard ways, standard operating procedures, technology that could be used to identify infringing content and remove it. You see some providers have done this on their own, so like Google has, uh, YouTube has a, a, a very um, effective one called Content ID, but there's no industry standards. Um, there was a bill last year and this year that uh, was intended to give the Library of Congress power to um, convene a proceeding to make sure this happens. I think that's important, too. Um, I have some others, but you know, I can pause there if you want to ask questions about those. Yeah, no, I, and uh, I, I guess my question is, how how much of a priority is this, considering all the things that are going on in the world right now? Are you getting any uh, uh, legislators' attention with this? Uh, well, so there are. Uh, it's a great question. It is a problem insofar as we have so many other problems that occupy the attention of our legislators. Yeah. That said, there are a core group of legislators, both it's by, it tends to be bipartisan, too, which is, it's, which is good and also might be why you don't see as much about it on the news because it, uh, it doesn't pop as many headlines. Right. But there are a core group of legislators that are focused on this and are trying to, to work on this. Very interesting. Kristen Stout, again, Director of Innovation Policy at the International Center for Law and Economics. Kristen, do you have a website? Yeah, uh, we're law, L-A-W, econ, E-C-O-N, center, C-E-N-T-E-R, dot org. Law, con, center, dot org. Did I get that right? Yep. Okay. Law Econ Center dot org. Law Econ Center org. Christian Stout, again, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. So thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, Bob. Nice talking. You as well. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got uh, some great guests coming out for tomorrow's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Boo Mortensen will be back on the show tomorrow. Looking forward to talking with Boo. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, uh, tell your friends. It's one of the ways that we can support our advertisers, like, uh, for example, Lulabee's Diner. I don't know if you know, but Sunday, the 16th, was National Boss Day. And if you bring your boss in for a free meal, you can do that at Lulabee's Diner. It's valid with the purchase of one meal and two drinks, again, at Lulabee's Diner at the Green Tree Shopping Center. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>